Hello and thank you so much for tuning into the Education Burrito, podcast that unwraps the everyday challenges in learning and teaching in education, exploring the ins and outs and highs and lows and different pedagogy approaches, enhancing student engagement amongst everything in education. My name is Q Sum and each episode I'll be joined by special guests as we unwrap the Education Burrito. Welcome back to another Education Burrito episode. Today I'm joined by someone who in their previous life have worked in government, medical and higher education and after more than 20 years of experiences in designing, developing and managing innovative blended learning within UK higher education, they're currently an educational developer. They're passionate about the design of pedagogically sound blended learning that support and is appropriate to the development needs of staff and students. They also support the enhancement of teaching and learning practice, promoting innovation in the curriculum, facilitating the career-long professional development of academics and professional staff. They're also interested in active learning, including inquiry and problem-based learning, emotions of learning and teaching, and enhancement through technologies, distant learning, and Lego serious play in higher education. In summary, they have many interests. But anyhow, can you guess who's joining me today? It's the wonderful Danielle Hinton. Danielle, how are you? And welcome to the podcast. I'm great, thanks. And it's really nice to join you for this um, conversation. Great. Thank you so much. Um, for, for our listeners, they, they can't see us. They can only just hear us. So you're in this gigantic, comfy sofa, I can see. Yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm sharing it with my cat. He's um, doing his best to snore the day away and, you know, guarding me to make sure I'm doing, doing lots of good work. Ah, what, what's your cat's name out of interest? My cat's name is Shlomo. What, why Shlomo? Shlo- Shlomo? It's Hebrew for Solomon, but it also is quite funny in the English context because it sounds like slow-mo and he is a bit of a slow cat. So, yeah. Fair enough. So let's just get stuck right into it. So your kind of your role at the moment is an educational developer. Could you just perhaps tell us a bit about what you do on a day-to-day basis? Yes. So As an educational developer, I sit within a central unit at the University of Birmingham called the Higher Education Futures Institute. And my role actually has many facets. So part of it is teaching uh, the course we run, uh, postgraduate certificate in higher education, uh, teaching uh, for early career academics and anybody basically that is interested in finding out more about teaching and learning. We also run continuing professional development workshops. I have to actually write, write down all the different things. We run a reading group and, and lots of other different things and do lots of consultation with staff about all things pedagogy. You're, you do many things then, basically, your role, right? You're just not there to help with computer no. problems? or <laughs> No, no. We're, I think it's more about sort of helping inspire um, and develop confidence in colleagues so whether they're academic, whether they're professional services, anything to do with teaching and supporting learning. I think it's more the confidence raising and opening people's eyes to the, to the actual marvels and different techniques that they can use to support our students at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, it's a great role to have in any institution, especially right now or in the past years. We know the mode of working has somewhat evolved 
um, especially the pandemic. And we went literally from working in our workspace to seeing our colleagues you know, shoulder by shoulder. And then suddenly we're having to sit up an office space at home, um, but actually still trying to maintain that work-life balance. And then in these past few months, um, as we know, people are slowly restarting to going back to their workplace and working in our institution, which I feel sometimes a bit weird. I'm like seeing people in 3D is still a bit, hmm, <laughs> still a bit weird. And I'm just so used to seeing them behind the screen. But actually, likewise for students as well, this online engagement and you know, classes and lectures, seminars and practicals are now being conducted through what we call this a blended model. And so I'm interested to know, Danielle, from your role as an educational developer, how has it been for you to understand and implement this whole blended learning and teaching? Yeah, so I think it's probably for me been a lot easier because when I started out at Birmingham just over 20 years ago, I I came into a role that was sort of e-learning related and that sort of morphed into um, instructional design. And then obviously I moved into educational development and I spent a load of the time previous to this role actually really immersing myself in online distance learning. So the nuts and bolts of creating courses. How do you support students to learn online at a distance? How do you support belonging? You know, all of all of those elements of how can we provide an engaging and motivating environment for students that are at, at a distance. And I guess, you know, that became the reality for, you know, almost 100 percent of us come the end of March 2020 when the pandemic hit and we had to make that the pivot. And I think it was probably the one time in my life I was going, yes, I know how to do this, you know. I'd exhort anybody, there's so much literature out there that we don't need to be inventing anything from new. We need to know where to find the literature. We need to know who to talk to. There's so many people with such a wealth of experience. And I think the pandemic has taught us that people actually are very, very happy if you, if you go, okay, can I have a chat? Or you know, what sort of advice would you give? And I found that in the community that inhabit Twitter, which has been a lifesaver personally and for many of us, especially over the pandemic time and before and obviously after. Mm -hmm. And so how has your work kind of changed over the pandemic? I think the biggest change was the same for all of us, is that suddenly, as you noted, we were thrust into a sort of an isolated environment where we were all used to, to going, you know, traveling to a workplace. And then suddenly we had to work out how to stay motivated, how to grapple with all of these new challenges with a scary pandemic raging, but knowing that we still had students and learners that we needed to, to support and to progress. And I think there was a lot of emotions in that because you're becoming very isolated. And I think that's where one of the big lessons for me about the pandemic, we need to be developing not only with our relationship with our colleagues, but in our relationship to designing learning, purposefulness, so purposeful interactions. So we can't rely on things happening more organically as, as we might if we were face-to-face. -face. We have different cues that we have to deal with. And it's it's been challenging for, for everybody. And it's sometimes it's 
we need to sit back and reflect as well and think, okay, why might have I been feeling in a certain way? Why might have I have been doing something in a certain way? And, and how does that then impact, you know, other people? How does that impact my learners? And it's, I think it's been a, a really, really interesting and challenging time, but also it's been a fabulous for me time with continuing professional development because suddenly so much of it became online and free not only personally but it was so awesome to see so many of my colleagues at the university were taking up the opportunity of the workshops that we were providing and we're having a lot more of these conversations about how we could help each other just survive but not just survive in the pandemic to thrive in the pandemic and it's, it's interesting that you've mentioned a couple of things there in terms of having purposely activities that will support staff and students especially during online and when people are on the screen so much so learning and teaching there is this kind of words that are called high flex and hybrid how would you define that in the most simplest English <laughs> of what this term means. I mean, there's so many terms that I'm, I'm trying to get used to as well and different acronyms, but what is HyFlex? What is hybrid? What is yeah. all this high? <laughs> yes, um, I think at their core, they are trying to describe teaching and learning that happens simultaneously with some sort of element of in-person plus online. And I think I wouldn't want to personally describe it in any more nuances because there are the, those main um, terms floating around of hybrid, high flex, dual mode, and another one that's just come on to the scene. It's, it's actually more important that you find out as a teacher or a, a student what the terminology means and it, how it's articulated within your own institution and also within, obviously, your own school or department, because that's actually what matters. It'll give you the why and it'll give you the parameters of how you would then try and interact. But at, at its core, it is about everybody being active. It's everybody being present at mm -hmm. one time. And it's quite interesting. I think it was just reflecting when, when you were just sharing that. And I was thinking, how... How has your role, has your role been challenging in terms of the transition into this completely online teaching and learning? And then suddenly you're being asked to help transition back to this slowly high flex hybrid model or dual model in other terms as well. How do you feel in terms of all this faffing around <laughs> of understanding what, what the educators need, but then also supporting what the students need? Yeah, exactly. So for me, I think it speaks to a core part of my personality. I just like creating and actually it's, it's another challenge. I've got the building blocks. It's how we could fit them together. However, I'm very cognizant that, especially for our own institution, we are using the hybrid model for, for particular purposes so that we can support particular students that we have agreed to teach. And we want to give them that experience, even though they might not necessarily be able to come from overseas, et cetera, et cetera. So there's not only the fact that we've had to firstly pivot online and then we all had to then teach totally online and now this is another transition and I think one of the chief challenges 
is that everybody is exhausted. So, you know, the teaching professional services staff are exhausted. The students are exhausted. Everybody is dealing with a discombobulated world, a world that is constantly changing. It comes with the emotions. It isn't what we wanted and we our choice was taken away. And I think possibly having our choice taken away as, as teachers and also as learners and, you know, plus the exhaustion and all of the other things that are going around, I think that's where things can become very challenging. I'd actually argue that all the fundamentals of designing good learning, it's actually how can we support each other when certain elements of those um, change. So like when the, the scene, when the space changes, I guess it's, it's how can we retain our compassion? How can we, you know, retain just being without, you know, wanting to take to our bed and, and not come out? How can we still be a functioning society and still have excite students to become passionate and motivated in our different disciplines? Mm-hmm. Yes, you talk, you talked about emotions there, and I think that is a is a big topic, especially now when everyone's talking about self-care and the kind of imperatives of having that mental health, looking after them and making sure that's a priority. And especially during the pandemic when you know we are in isolation or without any other support that you might not generally have when you're on campus and seeing colleagues and students. But have you done anything during this transition of whether in hybrid or high flex? Could you share any activities that you've done to support both staff and students in their needs? So we're, we're at the beginning of our sort of experience of massification of hybrid learning. So we do have different disciplines that have different needs and institutionally it was sort of decided that that was how we would support. When you're doing this in a small scale, you could argue there's less challenges. There's still many challenges, but you possibly feel a bit more in control. But as soon as you're scaling something, you're getting all of the different individuals that are part of that whole cohort. And like, how do you give them the most meaningful experience? How do you if you're going to ask them to be online and to be in the classroom at the same time, how can you make that as meaningful as and motivating as possible without one sort of part or the other part feeling like they're second-class citizens or they're not, you know, not being supported? So I think it's a really big challenge. And I know some institutions have decided not to go down that road, which is great, but I think each institution has to make its own decision about how to support its own students. Also, how to support the staff to support the students. Mm. It's nothing to go into lightly because the cognitive load, if you're teaching in this um, mode, so you, you need to keep your eye on what's happening, you know, in front of you in the class, face-to-face. You've also got making sure you're doing all of the right switching on and off audio, microphones um, for, your, for your Zoom audience and actually that's where it comes back to the real importance of purposefulness so purposeful questioning purposeful interactions that make and signal as a teacher that you value everybody that's in your classroom there you've mentioned in terms of supporting emotions and supporting the way that they for example the staff or or students then develop their own needs but how, what influences the work that you do to ensure that you are supporting their needs you're not just supporting their needs because you are doing 
you are being paid to do your job, but what influenced you to to do what you do? So I think it always comes back to me to a couple of core things. Firstly, when I was an undergraduate, I suffered what I can identify now as social anxiety. So I wanted, even in a small group setting, to have my say, but I would I would get so anxious about, you know, even in, even like in a small group saying something. And I know that I also feel a lot of the time, even now, case as I'm an imposter. And for me, I've become very aware of, of how emotions really impact on, on the learning process. And I really want to make sure that that is acknowledged as an important thing, that failure is is not a terrible stain in one's character. Failure is an integral part of learning and everybody has to start somewhere. Even the greatest professor, somebody you, you might really look up to, had to start somewhere. And at some point they're in the exact same circumstance. So how can we support each other? And I think a lot of that has sort of come out of my faith and, you know, wanting to really improve my own character and knowing that, you know, from where I'm starting to where I want to be, it is a journey. And I also, you know, want to help others. So a lot of the work that I do do happens to be just actually a mirror into what I'm doing in my role. So I do do lots of CPD type posts on Twitter, um, lots of threads about teaching uh, various teaching practices and that that's actually just a window into something I'm doing as part of my role and I thought okay if I need to look at you know teaching philosophies and how do I support staff at Birmingham might not other people be wanting to know about how to write a, 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 an awesome teaching philosophy well why, why don't I share that so it's about um if you're going to do something once do it well and how can you share it yes Yes. And I think to say thank you, I think on behalf of the community, I think everyone really do appreciate what you do, whether you're sharing the you know, the CPD on social media and the work that your role at your own institution, which you mentioned at the start, you still somewhat got imposter syndrome. I think everyone's got imposter syndrome to a certain degree. We don't really feel like why we're doing this in the role, but but we are. And so, yeah, I just want to say thank you. And I think you are doing brilliant in what you do, Daniel. And I don't think you should feel like that. I think the students that you work with and the staff that you work with, they would somehow look up to you. They, they, they might not say it out loud, <laughs> but I think they would really appreciate what you do to help support their learning and teaching and overall for their own university experience. Thanks. And that also speaks... To important thing that we should be doing as higher education professionals is actually being honest with each other because actually as much as sometimes I think imposter syndrome might I might feel it holds me back actually having a bit of it I don't think it's a bad thing as well because you know you don't want to be big-headed um, and it's about having a, a balance and how you can be you know a kind and compassionate uh, human being as well as giving back to your own community mm. and just going back to this high flex model or hybrid depends on which institution you're from you've mentioned a quite a bit of challenges <laughs> so I'm just wondering are there any advantages of this whole hybrid high flex model at all <laughs> otherwise we shouldn't be doing it right now if there's no positive about it I think everything there's positives and negatives and I think that's where 
I think when we have such a, a polarizing potentially way of teaching, we need to actually go back to the beginning and think of what we consider the norm of teaching as face-to-face. And actually, why is that the norm? It has benefits, it has challenges, it has risks. It's, I think any modality or combination of modalities has benefits and it has as many benefits as it has challenges. For, for many, I think scale has been an issue. I think we need to provide also options. So some institutions, options will be the reason why they have gone down this road, giving students the option of, you know, they might have had COVID or having to be isolated. Or actually, if you read a lot of the literature or social media or any commentaries the community the and I'm not probably using the right term so I apologize in advance but the disabled and marginalized communities many have articulated that actually a benefit the pandemic they felt that like they were being included for the first time they also felt that everybody else is now feeling had a little inkling of how they felt in there um, trying to access higher education. So I think there are lots, lots of benefits. I think one of the things that's really important, as I've mentioned more probably more than once, is about the purposefulness and having to adapt. So we, we can't really wing it, so to speak. I think there's a lot of stuff you do as a teacher where when you're feeling confident in your, your topic, how you deliver, there's a lot of cues that you take and decisions you make. I think you have to be more purposeful when you're going to be having in-person and online at the same time. I'm not on the fence that thinks hybrid or high flex is evil and you should, shouldn't do it. I'm on the fence that institutions are making intelligent decisions that they have students that are important to them that they want to support their education. So it's about how we can really support our staff that are now in their third requirement to um, to take on new skills. How can we be supportive of them to be confident enough to then support our learners? Because without all of those different elements, things will come crashing down. So it's how can we be talking to each other? How can we be thinking through? So in my role, how can I be thinking through What advice would I give to my colleagues that suddenly do have 400 students on Zoom and 300 students in the the physical classroom? How can I help them to have a successful session? Yes, I agree. And I think just going on from that, then it's it's like that students, I feel like students and and academics or your colleagues will they need to think about how stuff that they are doing are purposefully applicable to what they need to teach as well it's not just going about what the, t- the standard um, institution is expecting of them but it's making them personalized to make it fit and identify what it fits with the students needs because right now in every university that is so diverse you have different type of students you have mature students you have students coming just from came up from school so there are different experiences of using technologies that alone try and understand the discipline that they are being taught so there's a lot of different factors I feel they are to consider on top of using this blended approach as well. So then my follow-up question to you, Daniel, then is how do you think or what should students and staff do to embrace this whole high flex hybrid dual mode learning and teaching? I think one of the important things apart from 
being purposeful in your design is to actually talk frankly, be honest, that you, we're doing our best in this new mode. We haven't taught in this mode before. We welcome everybody's feedback. Make sure that you're building in purposeful points for, for getting feedback if students aren't necessarily giving it to you just more generally. But actually put yourself into the shoes of both a student that might be in person or that might be remote and actually think about what their experience is or could be and realize it's not your experience. You're not teaching robots. You're teaching human beings with, with such a, an awesome range of characteristics that make up that. But it's, it's, it's having that dialogue. It's, it's being empathetic. It's being compassionate, even though sometimes almost two years later, you're feeling like, you just need to sleep for a year and you're not probably you're having moments of not feeling particularly compassionate because it's the brilliant person saying X or Y, but actually we're still in a pandemic. Even when we progress out of the pandemic, actually we just need to keep our humanness, our compassion intact, talk to each other. Think about when you're designing these sessions about how you can be active. Cause I think you've got this very precious time together what is going to make that special so you've got that time together synchronously but you've also got all of these wonderful resources that you've created that people are accessing in their own time but how are you making that let's say 50 minutes how are you making that special are you making that motivational I think you've got pretty good tips there and I think from it's a lot for us to reflect on I think talking it's a good start you, how would you then know the problems or the issues experienced by everyone if you don't talk I think students from a student's perspective I think sometimes you might have that imposter syndrome of being scared to talk to someone who are quite senior or people who know who can make changes but I think for students I would encourage them just to speak up because then academics or staff won't know you need help especially if there's a problem they would just think for example, if it's online learning, they would, they would expect that you can hear them or the slides are working, but actually you can't you can't see or hear anything. And then you're just having to look at the chat box, but then there's nothing on the chat box. So then you're thinking everything is fine, but it's not. But that is good. And I think some very good tips there. So if we're looking to the future, Daniel, how do you think your work will evolve as we are slowly or very, very slowly transitioning out of this pandemic? Yeah, that was a, a really thought-provoking question. And I guess there's lots of ways it ways it could go. And I think that's what really excites me about my role and the opportunities that I have to work um, with individuals and across the institution and more widely is we don't know, we didn't know there was a pandemic coming. Actually, you know, being able to be adaptable, draw on the very rich resources of scholarship and practice that have been published, all of the people that are willing to talk. Um, and I think there's lots of exciting opportunities we don't know whether this hybrid, high-flex, dual-mode thing will last. We don't know whether we want it to last. So I think we need to be res responsible and actually whatever learning we're designing for to really design for the learners that we've got, to really look at the space that we're teaching in, to be mindful of the standards 
draw on the scholarship. And I think if you can do that alongside colleagues and have that open dialogue, we we can do anything um, individually or as a institution or as a sector. Hmm. The world is our oyster. Okay, great. Uh, so let's end with a fun part of this episode. Uh, with a quick short firing round for our listeners and for myself to know you a bit more. These are random questions that I, yeah, just random questions that I thought might be interesting to ask you. Uh, My tip to you is just don't think too hard. It should be quick firing round, so don't give me an essay. (laughs) But uh, are you ready, Daniel? Oh, no, never. (laughs) Go for it. That wasn't the right answer. (laughs) All right, I'm just going to go for it. Uh, your favourite hashtag, what are they? My favourite hashtag is bottom line. Um, that's the CPD that I run. And of course, I can't not say LTHE chat. A big fan here, big fan yeah. here. Tea or coffee? Uh, neither. Oh, okay. What would be the alternative? Um, I am a watermelon water fanatic just to be weird the, the melon part or just the water part uh both actually okay okay if you are to pick one learning and teaching platform or tool what would it be uh canvas okay yep why is that i've used different um virtual learning environments and it seems to be the re- most robust um adaptable i just like it <laughs> okay what's your favorite movie not sure I have a favourite movie or, or one that I can remember with this pandemic brain. Probably adventure. How about favourite music genre then? Favourite is classical music, anything classical. If memes are not available, would you prefer emoji, bitmoji or gifs? I think gifs would be my favourite. In fact, if you follow me on the LTHE chat, you would probably accuse me of using too many gifs. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Other than your phone, your laptop, or any tablets or technologies, what would be the one best thing to carry around to show students or colleagues in corridors on campus? I would probably just go for the nearest piece of electronics that I could actually log on to. If there's no t- piece of technology around. <laughs> I think I just have to gesticulate wildly and, and create, create pictures um, to demonstrate my weird passion for all things teaching. Do you have any alternative career that you secretly wish you had but never actually pursued? In some moments, I secretly would like to bake and decorate glamorous, huge cakes, but I'm quite happy just to watch um, people do all the hard work. It's not the same though, is it? I guess. Who is your favourite learning or teaching hero? Oh, am I allowed to? Heroes. Oh, thank you, thank you. Probably the first hero is Stephen Brookfield. It's just the most amazing, accessible um, and useful stuff that is published. Just everything is great. And the second one is Claire Major, who has written um, single-authored and co-authored many books around active learning techniques. And anything that's practical is just wonderful. And everybody should be reading their books. Fantastic. And finally, because our podcast is called The Education Burrito, What's your favourite burrito filling? Never had a burrito. That's a terrible thing for me to um, to confess. What would you like to have in a wrap then? 
I think anything chicken, lots of vegetables, anything like that. Probably isn't probably a burrito, but it um it would be delicious. Like a sandwich. Yes. <laughs> well, that's all we have time for in this episode. And if our listeners want to find out about what, what you do, Danielle, how can they do so? Yeah, um, I'll share lots of links. Um, do follow me on Twitter and my handle is at HintonDM. Great. Again, a massive thank you to you, uh, Danielle Hinton, for sharing with us your work in terms of uh, educational developer, but also your thoughts on hybrid, high flex and a dual mode. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for your time and tuning into the Education Burrito. Make sure to hit the subscribe button on whichever platform you're listening on and be sure to like it and share it on social media, tagging us at the hashtag the Education Burrito. If you have enjoyed our chat today and fancy coming onto the show, no matter as a student or member of staff, do drop us a message as we unwrap learning and teaching in the Education Burrito.